0: Well, we've been looking at 1 Peter and talking about what it means to endure to the end, knowing that Peter specifically wrote uh, to believers uh, at the end of his life, wanting to prepare them for the kinds of attacks, the kinds of resistance they would experience from within. Remember, 1 Peter was about resistance from without, persecution from without. 2 Peter is about resistance from within. Because we do have a reality that uh, we do have an enemy. There, There is this being called Satan, and he has fallen angels that uh, follow him and do his bidding, and their main goal is to bring lies, to get us to believe things that aren't true. And they often use gullible people or uh, carnal people or people that are looking to Make a name for themselves to twist the scriptures to get people to follow after them instead of following after Jesus. And so Peter wants to write about that. And so we've seen so far in, in the in the first chapter how Peter starts the, the the book off starts the letter off by wanting to remind the believers about how great their salvation is, about how great it is to know Jesus. And they realize the priority is just to draw close to Him in relationship. And and just this, he used these amazing terms like how God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowing Jesus. Everything that we need for life, everything we need to have a life that's pleasing to God comes from our relationship with Jesus. Jesus provides for us a position with, with God in Christ. Jesus provides for us uh, the way that we can know what God is like and what He wants from us. Jesus even provides for us a righteousness that gives us not only a perfect standing, but allows us to be clean vessels by which the Holy Spirit can indwell us and empower us to do the things that God calls us to do. And we saw a couple of weeks ago in the second part of chapter one where we're encouraged to grow. That he didn't just save us so you can say, oh, isn't it nice to be in this position where you know God? And so sort of just kind of stay there and lift your hands and wait to die. Just kind of Whenever you go to heaven, that's, that's when everything else is finished. No, we're to press on in our walk with God. We're to grow in our relationship with God. That He calls us to that growth. Just in the same way that Jesus grew. And, and, and today we're going to see at the end of chapter 1, we're going to see how Peter's wanting to make sure that these guys are confident in what's written. Remember, this is Peter's swan song. This is Peter kind of his last letter that he's, writing to, um, that he's writing to these people before he dies. And he's wanting to make sure they understand, look, the words that we give to you, the Scriptures that you have in your hand, you can trust those Scriptures if you use them rightly. And so we're going to look at three basic things uh, that can help us understand the confidence we can have in Scripture, why Scripture was written. So let's start in verse 12. Peter writes, he says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, now, Peter, when he says, for this reason, he's referring back to what he had written in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 11, where he talks about this entrance that's been abundantly supplied into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus. In other words, this reality that what the kingdom that God's provided for us, the home that God has for us is an everlasting home, and our motivation to grow is because we know that is our everlasting home. And so he's saying, in light of these things, for this reason, I want to remind you of what's important. I want to make sure that you understand what you need to know. In fact, it's interesting because he says in verse 12, I want to remind you, though, he says, you know and are established in the present truth. Now, when he talks about this, he uses this word established that's used also by Jesus in Luke chapter 22. If you remember when, Jesus, when Peter was kind of bragging to Jesus, Jesus is telling him about his impending death. And Peter's basically saying, no, there's no way we're going to let you die. And if you have to die, we're going to die with you. And, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, listen, man, before the, the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he says to them, it's supposed to be in my notes, but I can't find it, so I'll have to go up to the screen. But he says to them, he says, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you That he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, can you imagine when Peter heard that? I mean, here's Peter full of confidence. He thinks, No, I'm the one, I'm gonna be faithful to you to the end. And and Jesus is like, Actually, Satan's asked for you. You're gonna be tested and you're gonna fail big time, but when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. I love that because. Hear the Lord saying, "Look, you should have no confidence in yourself, but you can have all confidence in Me. That when you come back to Me, I want to use you." And when He gives him that instruction, when you come back, to, when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brethren. He uses the same word that's used here uh, for establish in verse eleven. So you have this picture of Peter who's doing this very thing. It's like you can tell Peter was impacted by this. When he was restored, I can imagine this thing kept going back in his head. Hey, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. When you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Do that ministry that I've called you to. And so this is what Peter's wanting to do. He's wanting to be faithful to Jesus and do the ministry that God's called him to do. He wants to make sure these people are reminded, even though they've already been established in this truth. And the point is simple. The point is that even those who are established in the truth need reminders. We never get to a place where we think, oh, I've heard that before. I don't need to hear that again. We're never in that place. No one is ever in that place where they know God's Word well enough, they know God's promises well enough, they know God's character well enough that they don't need to be reminded about what He's like and what He's done. And this is what Peter's trying to say. He wants these guys to know, listen, I know you're established, but I think it's good that I keep reminding you. He says in verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, I love the fact that that Peter uses this phrase, tent. I think you probably know he's talking about his body. He's talking about the fact that he's going to physically die soon. And I love this because Paul used similar language in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.1, he said, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about this new body that we're going to get, that we're going to put off this old tent and we're going to get a new one. Having had my first experience with surgery this week ever, I can't wait for a new body. It's amazing how, you know, how much when you're in a little bit of pain, you kind of go, oh, I hate this, this thing, you know. It's amazing how weak and frail we are physically. Well, because Jesus was resurrected, we're promised a resurrection. And if we have faith in Jesus that He's paid for our sins, that we belong to Him because of what He's done, we're going to have new bodies. That doesn't mean I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? Not that I want to anyway. But what it it does mean is that I'm going to have a body that has no more sickness, pain, or death to it. And and I think, I I love the fact that Peter, he's saying basically, look, because I know what my future is, because I know that this tent, though it's perishing, it's dying, it's it's fading away, this is only temporary, and I know what my permanent home is, that's what what motivates me to give uh, you this faithful reminder. This is why I want to keep doing this. In fact, it's interesting, again, one of the things that, that Peter had experienced with Jesus when Jesus was restoring him in John chapter 21. If you remember, uh, Peter or Jesus had said, most assuredly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wish, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This Jesus spoke, signifying but what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, the reason I bring this out is because it's important to recognize that Peter's being motivated to give this reminder because he knows his death is soon. He sees his life is short. Let me ask you a question. What would you do with your time if you knew you only had days to live? Seriously, if you were on death row, what would you do with your time? If you had a terminal illness, how would you spend your time? Days, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, I really want to do. I really want to do. Would it be? I want to take my motorcycle and go for the, the long ride all the way up from coast to coast, or yeah, Route sixty six. Would it? Would it be? You know, I'm going to get one last weekend of surfing if I can. You know, would it be? I'm going to eat anything I want <laughs> because it doesn't make any difference anymore. <laughs> would it be? I'm going to tell everyone I know about Jesus because what's the worst they can do to me? I mean, when you realize your life is short, your motivations, what you really, really want, come to the surface. And so Peter, here he is, he's at the end of his life, and he's basically just showing, he's demonstrating this maturity that he has followed Jesus, specifically as Jesus has called him to. Jesus said to him, listen, when you return to me, I want you to be one who strengthens the brethren. I want you to teach them over and over again about what they need to know about me. Peter's doing that. In fact, the closer that he gets to the end, the more he wants to be faithful. Sarah was teasing me about what a pessimist I am because yesterday, or last night I was saying, you know what I realized? I'm way more than halfway through my life. She's like, God, you're such a pessimist. <laughs> but I'm 46. So unless God intends to keep me around until I'm in my late 90s, which hasn't been the pattern in my family, I'm way over halfway through my life. And I, I don't see that as, a, oh, what Obama. bummer. I say, you know, that's a motivation. I don't have time to waste. I really want to say, okay, Lord, what's the thing you've called me to do? How do you want me to use my time here? Peter's a great example of wanting to make sure these guys have a reminder. In fact, he says in verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Interesting, just for you students, you Bible students, I should say, uh, for you guys who are really into the, the nitty-gritty of things, the word deceased there is a very rare word, but it's the word that, that uh, is used uh, in, the, uh, in the account of the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, when Jesus was transfigured before uh, the Peter, James, and John, we're going to refer to that in just a minute because Peter's going to refer to this. Yeah, it talks about how uh, that Moses and Elijah are referring to or, or speaking to Jesus about his exodus or about his decease, basically about his death. It's a kind of an unusual way to, to refer to a death, like I'm just kind of passing through, okay? It was unusual in that language to use it that way. And yet Peter's using it the same way. So you had this, 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 this picture maybe of Peter thinking about, fixated, of when he saw Jesus in his glory, when he was transfigured on that mountain on that day, and thinking about, you know what, I'm, the same thing's gonna happen to me really soon. <laughs> I'm gonna be transfigured. This corruption is gonna put on incorruption. And so he says, because of that, I'm gonna be really careful to make sure you have a reminder. Now, most Bible teachers believe that to Peter, this letter that we're reading, is that reminder. That he wanted to make sure these things were written down so that these guys would remember now, it could be a reference to Mark's gospel, since Peter was the one who probably fed Mark that information for Mark's gospel. But either way, the principle remains, he's wanting to make sure that there's a written reminder. Now, this is, the, this is the first thing I want you to understand about having confidence in the Scriptures, is knowing that it was written for a reminder. It was written for a reminder. This is why, as a church, we have a Bible reading plan that we encourage you to be a part of if you don't have your own Bible reading plan. Because in my opinion, for us who are literate uh, believers, we are able to read, that we have uh, uh, this great privilege and therefore this great responsibility to know the Scriptures we say we believe in. It is a, a crime if you've been a believer for more than a year and you haven't even read through the New Testament. It's crazy. Jesus died so that we could know him. Those who followed him closest suffered greatly so they could give us a written record. For us to ignore that is foolishness at best. Now, we've been given this written reminder. This is why we encourage you to read at least through the New Testament every year, at least the New Testament, to know what's there, to be familiar with it, to be reminded of those truths. I can testify, I've been a Christian since 1987, so you do the math, that's a long time. And, and, and I can testify how faithful God has been to speak to me from His Word, how much it's good for me to hear it over and over again. And I'll, I'll admit, because I've taught through every book in the New Testament, some of them three times, and I am quite familiar with the New Testament specifically, sometimes I'm, as I'm reading them I can go, yeah, I've read this before. But I have to stop and think, wait a second, I need to be reminded. And when I stop and I say, Lord, this is your word, I need to hear what you say, and I read it again, especially if I tend to read it out loud to myself, God will speak to me. I'll be reminded of the truth that he's already said. This was written to us as a reminder. We need to keep our nose in the book, we need to keep it there. Now, he gives them this reminder because he wants them to grow. And it's important that we recognize that, that really what the Holy Spirit does is he reminds us of what he first reminded the apostles of. John chapter 14, listen to this. Jesus says, But the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I have said. So Peter, among the, as well as the other apostles, wrote down the things that the Spirit specifically reminded them to write down. And what happens now is that the more we're familiar with the Scripture, the more the Holy Spirit can remind us of what is written. For years, the church in China, the underground church in China, so it would be the illegal church in China, uh, they didn't have access to to Bibles or easy access to Bibles, so they might have a Bible for the congregation. And so what would often happen in their services would be a big part of their service was simply slowly and methodically reading through whatever text was going to be taught because you know what was happening? They were writing stuff down, word for word. And then they would check what they wrote against the, the, the copy that the church had to make sure it was accurate. And often the Bibles that they had were literally, literally, purposefully torn into pieces because you got this chapter and you got this chapter and everyone knew who, what they had and they'd bring it back and they'd swap because they were so valuable. And when Western preachers would go to these churches, especially back in the 80s, when they'd go to these churches, the people would get frustrated if they only preached for an hour. You guys get frustrated when I do preach for an hour. They would say they want we want more three hours four hours why because they needed to be reminded over and over and over and over of what they were risking their life for of who they were risking their life for god gave them this reminder This is what's being referred to in Ephesians chapter 2 as the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The foundation is not just those lives that were there, but what God revealed to these people that we have written down in the scriptures. That's the foundation for us. This is what we need to know. And it's meant for our comfort. It's meant for our encouragement. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 15, for whatever things were written before him, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. God wants us to have a cheerful expectation. That's what hope means. Hope is cheerful expectation. Where does that come from? Oh, I just really feel it. Well, sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. No, the expectation comes from we see as Peter said earlier in the chapter, the exceedingly precious promises of God were reminded them over and over again as we read his word. This is what Peter's wanting them to know. Look, guys, I know you know the stuff he's saying to them. I know you're establishing this stuff, but I know that I'm not faithful unless until the day I die, I remind you of these truths. You need to hear them over and over again. It was written as a reminder now, he then goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor, and, or he received, I'm sorry, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. Saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So now he's referring here to, of course, to what we talked about a second ago about the man of transfiguration. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 17. You can read it actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but specifically you can read about this in Matthew chapter 17. It was a time when when, uh, basically Jesus took, probably up up Mount Hermon, Jesus took with him uh, Peter, James, and John. They went to this place, and Jesus was transfigured, metamorphosized, you might say. It was was basically, he was seen in his glorified state. Now, some people have said that the miracle that took place there was not that Jesus was changed into this new glorified state, but that actually what happened is his real state was seen that he kind of, the veil of his humanity was kind of pulled open. Whichever way it works, here's the reality. He was showing something of his glory, his unique value during this time. And if you don't know the story, what happens is he shows this to him. a ba- This huge cloud kind of uh, it appears, and, and Jesus is transformed. He's, he's like whiter than lightning. People, they're like blown away by They see him kind of glowing on this mountaintop. And, and basically, this, this, uh, as this is happening, Peter doesn't know what to say. He, he's like, but, he, but he, of course, he's like me. He has to say something. So what Peter does is, Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. How about we make three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because Moses and Elijah appear with him at the same time. And then the voice comes from heaven and says what we have recorded here. And the voice says, This is my beloved son. And he says, also, hear him. And, and it was this powerful moment that they recognized that Jesus wasn't just a prophet or even the prophesied prophets. The, the sort of one that Moses was a forerunner to. He's more than just the prophets. He's the holy son of God. Well, they have this experience, and Peter Peter is saying to the people he's writing to, he's saying, listen, you need to understand, this is not some cunningly devised fable. This is not some myth. The word for fable there is mythos in the Greek, where we get the English word myth. It's not a myth. It's not something we came up with. It's not some sort of supernatural story that kind of teaches some sort of important moral lesson. We saw this, man. We saw it, and we heard it. It's fact, this actually happens. And he's wanting them to understand listen, what is written is not just written as a reminder. Listen, here's the second thing is written by eyewitnesses. They saw this. Peter says, Look, we saw this. In fact, it's interesting. He mentions in verse 16, he says, Look, we made known to you what we saw. We saw the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why when you read the Gospels, specifically Mark's Gospel, you see in Mark's Gospel what's highlighted is the power of Jesus or the authority of Jesus. Mark is written to a Roman culture that would have been really concerned with the Pax Romana or the power of Rome to bring peace. Peace by force. Yet you have Jesus who doesn't bring peace by force, but peace by sacrifice. And he has greater authority. And and that authority is demonstrated in authority over sickness, authority over demons, authority over death. He raises people from the dead. Authority to, to speak for God. And authority to forgive sins. And he demonstrates this authority. And Peter's saying, listen, when we made this known to you, it wasn't a myth. We're not just going, here's a better kind of, narrative for your life, better than Rome leading things. No, this is what we saw. We saw Jesus demonstrate the power of God, the authority of God. He says, listen, we saw the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting because it's a Greek word, parousia, a very important Greek word. Parousia is almost everywhere used, I might be pronounced that wrong, by the way, <laughs> I don't know, I like the way it sounds, Perusia. so it might be pronounced something else, but I don't know. So, this, it's a word that's only used in reference to the second coming of Jesus. Now, he's talking about witnessing the first coming. Everywhere else in the New Testament, it's, 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 a, it's a testimony of the second coming. And here's what I think Peter's getting at. I think what Peter's getting at is, listen, what we expect to see when Jesus comes back We know to be to expect to happen in fact because we have, in fact, already seen his glory. We've already seen what it's like when he comes. We're eyewitnesses to these things. They reported what they saw. Now, it's interesting because he says in verse 17, he refers to the fact that Jesus had received from God the Father. Uh, this, this testimony, this voice, it says coming from the excellent glory, probably a reference to the cloud that was there, which in a Jewish mindset would have been like the Shekinah of glory of the Old Testament or a, a visible marker that the presence of God was actually there. And so, and so um, he's saying this is what we heard, and here's what Peter writes down. He remembers, it's interesting that in this context he doesn't write down the words hear him, though we know from the Gospels that God spoke that word, hear him. But he writes down this part, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the part he focuses on. That's the part that is stuck in his memory that he wants to remind these guys of. It's important because this is the gospel. This is the gospel, guys. The good news is not, here's how good you are. The good news isn't even, this is how much God loves you. That's not the good news. You know what the good news is? That God is well pleased with Christ, and because he's well-pleased with Christ, he can be well-pleased with us. Because the Bible teaches that we, by faith, can have our lives hidden in Christ, that we're hidden in Him. I was, we are talking about some of my daughter's friends, guy friends, not boyfriends, they're not allowed yet, guy friends, friends that are guys and there's a, there's a, one of their friends who's a guy got saved at the retreat. praise God answer the prayer amen, amen. and we 're really stuck with this and so the uh, i 'm going to meet this guy just to, just to be friendly to him and stuff, but his friends are warning him about how scared I am <laughs> which i 'm very glad of i 'm glad that all the guys are afraid of me <laughs> and it 's interesting because. There, there's this, this, this idea that they have like, okay, he's scary. So, because he's scary, we have to be careful about how we treat them. See, dad, that's the point. This is why I try to be scary. <laughs> now, think about that. Reverse that, okay? Reverse that, okay? They relate to my daughters because they know of what I'm like. That's that, that motivates, at least in part, how they relate to my daughters, okay? God, listen, relates to us because He knows what His Son is like. God relates to us not based on, on what we do rightly or wrongly, though He does call us to have relationship and follow Him and to live rightly. He relates to us based on whether or not we are in Christ or not in Christ. That's the big issue, Are we in Christ or are we not in Christ? If we're in Christ, God says of us, this is my beloved son or daughter or whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because He sees us in Christ. If we're not in Christ, He sees us as we are. Now, you might think that's not that bad, but trust me, it is. When you see yourself as you really are, you you will do what Adam and Eve did when they saw themselves as they are after they sinned. You will hide yourself from God because you don't want to be exposed, you don't want them to see what you really like. But the good news is, God sent Christ so that we could be in Christ, so He could say to us, you are my beloved sons and daughters, in whom I'm well pleased. And the good news is, the full gospel is, God is by His Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. Think of it like this: it, It's as if when you're in Christ, you're wearing your father's clothing. Like when my boys were little, they used to to kind of put my shoes on and flop around the house. Bubba actually did it yesterday; he wore my shoes. His feet are getting pretty big; he's going to fit in them pretty soon. But he's flopping around in my flip flops yesterday. But when they're really little, the girls do this too. They put their feet in, and they just like they're swimming. I mean, they could almost sit in my shoe if they wanted to, and they're flopping in my shoes. But what happens as they get older? They eventually not the girls probably, but the boys, grow in to be able to wear my shoes. In a sense, we are clothed in Christ. God is well pleased with us because of the work of Christ. And because He's well pleased with us, He's going to grow us into Christ. That we are actually one day, in reality, practically our righteousness is going to be lined up with His. I mean... it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I find that, I think, can that really possibly be? This is why it's so important to understand the humanity of Jesus because if Jesus wasn't a real human, if He was just some sort of a spirit, or, we couldn't be made that righteous. But because He became a real man and lived a perfect life, not only can we have a positional righteousness, but we can know that we're going to be conformed to a practical righteousness so that when we see God face to face and we are changed in an instant and made perfect, practically perfect, just like Jesus is, He's going to look at us and He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I believe this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, listen, we saw why God accepts us. We heard why God accepts us, because He's well-pleased with Jesus. We saw what He's going to make us into. We saw it. It's fact. It's not pie in the sky, by and by. It's reality. We witnessed it. That's what we're testifying of. It's really important, too, to notice it says in verse 18, he says, we heard this voice when we were with him. If Peter would have kind of said, here's my testimony, I wouldn't have saw Jesus glorified. Nobody else would have saw it. We probably would have thought, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, even in, in kind of their own culture, in the Jewish culture, there had to be at least two or three witnesses to say something was true. Well, there was three witnesses who saw Jesus glorified. Now, this is not the only thing that would obviously convince Peter of the glory of Jesus. Obviously, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. But there was something about that Mount transfiguration when he saw the glory of Jesus, when he heard God say, this is my beloved son, that he says, you gotta be reminded of this. You gotta know this. This is what we saw. This is the fact of the gospel. So, then he talks about this, verse 19. Well, actually, Sorry, a couple more things really quick. A couple other verses I want to give you guys. Paul says this in Ephesians 1 6. Paul says that God has made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. Why are you acceptable to God? Because you always do the right thing? <laughs> Come on. Really? Why are you acceptable to God? Because you're getting better every day, and as long as you try hard, that's all God cares about? Do you really try your hardest? Come on. None of us do. You're acceptable to God because you're in the beloved. And if you're not in the beloved, you're not yet acceptable to God. But also listen. When we're talking about this, this fact that there's this corporate witness, John said it this way. John who saw the same thing that Peter saw. John who walked with Jesus like Peter did in that inner three. John wrote, and the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and dwelt among us in what? We beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. It's important we recognize, guys, that when we're talking about the Scriptures, when we're talking about having confidence in the Scriptures, that we're talking about uh, that which was written by eyewitnesses. These are not just ideas. And this is the problem, too. We can, we can fall into this. We can begin to talk about concepts, especially in a church where we like to talk about theology. We can start talking about the things of God as these concepts. Well, what do you believe about that? What do you believe about that? And everything's conceptual. But it's not. We're talking about facts. We're talking about history. We're talking about a person. We're talking about the reality of God and who He is. And that's what He's calling us to trust. That's why He gave us His Word. Not so we can philosophize about it. So we can trust Him through it. Now, He goes on to say this. Notice, He says, verse 19... And we have the prophetic word confirmed, which we do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now, when he refers here in verse 19 to the prophetic word confirmed, he is talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the prophetic word, what, what, what the Old Testament scriptures say. Because obviously here he's talking about, look, I want to give you a reminder of what you need to know. Remember what the the apostles did. When we talk about the apostles' doctrine, like in the book of Acts, or what we mentioned earlier in Ephesians 2, uh, 20, about the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, that's a reference to them uh, teaching or prophesying uh, um, with the Old Testament in light of or interpreting of through the person and work of Jesus, okay? That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the apostles taking the Old Testament and saying, here's what this really means as we see it through the person and work of Jesus, okay? So when he says, listen, when he says, we now have this prophetic word confirmed, he's saying, listen, we've had all the Old Testament stories. We know the history of God with his people, the people of Israel. We know we've been waiting for the Messiah, We know the prophecies that predicted about where the Messiah would be born and the kinds of things He would suffer. We know all these things from the Old Testament. Guess what? We're not guessing about how it's going to work anymore. We have all that Word confirmed through Jesus. People sometimes say, well, why do you really trust? Do you really trust that that Bible... That, that book, you really, you really take that book that seriously. You believe that that book is that trustworthy. Why? Well, one of the reasons is prophecy. The things that we know were written. We have, the, the book of Isaiah specifically was found at Qumran. You guys have probably all heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, yes? No? Anybody here, who's heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay, most of you. Okay, good. Look it up. You can Google it. Uh, they found at Qumran these uh, this this, this set of caves near the Dead Sea in Palestine, they found uh, these uh, clay jars and they were full of parchments, okay? And one of the parchments they found was they dated these things before the time of Christ and one of the things they found was a, uh, a scroll of the book of Isaiah, almost completely intact. And the book of Isaiah, if you read Isaiah 53, you see this prophetic word about a suffering Messiah, And if you uh, didn't know that that was written before the time of Christ, you would think that was someone writing artistically about what Jesus suffered. And yet we know for a fact, historical fact, archaeological fact, that that was written before the time of Christ. We found the copies. So, when Peter talks about, listen, we have, listen, the prophetic word confirmed, he's talking about that kind of reality. Listen, this stuff was written way before about what Jesus would do, and Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. He did what the word said the Messiah would do, he filled the requirements. We're not guessing anymore. We know. We know. And he says about that prophetic word, notice, he says, which you would do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Which you would do well to heed. Now here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, listen, we know that what God has said has been confirmed in Jesus Christ. Jesus confirmed the authority of the Old Testament, but he also fulfilled all the prophecy of the Old Testament. He fulfilled it. Jesus said clearly, didn't he? In, in Matthew chapter five, did not come to to uh, destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He's the fulfillment of everything that's in the Old Testament. That's why when we teach the Old Testament, we teach it with that in mind, seeing Jesus the fulfillment of things. And so he's saying, "Look, this this authority's been confirmed, and because there is that authority, listen, we should heed what it says. We should heed what it says." I love the fact that Peter here. Speaks of Scripture as that which gives us light to walk by. You know, we 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 see that in the Old Testament, there's this book of Psalms, this this beautiful book of poetic songs that were written to bring praise to God. Some were meant to to sing at times of remorse. Some were meant to sing more as a private devotional thing. Some were meant to sing corporately. Some were meant to be s- sung as they were making their way up to the Temple Mount to worship. But of all the psalms, all the 150 psalms that we have recorded, the longest psalm, Psalm 119, is about the glories of the Word of God. And one of the things that they were taught to sing about, remember, they would have sung these songs from memory. I think, what is it? Is that, what is there? 186 verses in Psalm 119, something like that? It's insane. Imagine... Memorizing Psalm 119 and then singing it. One of the verses says, The entrance of your word gives light. One of the verses says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Peter is saying to these people, Listen, do you recognize? Not only was this written as a reminder, So you can remember how good your God is and how good His promises are. Not only was this written by eyewitnesses that these are historical facts confirmed uh, by who Jesus is, but also, listen, this is written in the very authority of God. It's meant for you to heed it and to worship Him because of it and to obey Him, to follow what it says. It's gonna be a light to your path. It's gonna show you where to walk. I mean, have we all had the experience? You wake up in the middle of the night and the power's out. Have you ever had that experience? And yet you don't, you're just like stumbling around. It's a horrible feeling. You're just waiting to stub your toe. And, or in my case, step on a Lego. <laughs> Have you ever stepped on a Lego barefooted? Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> torture, man. Forget about waterboarding. Some throw them Legos on there. And make guys step on them. That'll torture anybody. It's horrible. And, and you're thinking, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Or in the house that Sarah and I, Sarah first house had cockroaches. And so you wake up in the middle of the night and you walk, you can't see what you're doing and you hear this crunch. <laughs> Sorry. Let's have a nice lunch. <laughs> but it's horrible to walk in darkness. You're, you're desperate in that place to find lights. And when you find light, you find a, a torch or something and you light that, you open it up or you turn on that torch, you shine it, you don't go, oh, there's a torch. You follow where that light leads. You look what that light is revealing. And Peter's saying, listen, this is the way it works. God has spoken to us authoritatively. So shine that light and know how to walk and know what you're believing for and know who he is. He says, and do that until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. The day dawns is a reference to the time when Christ comes back. His kingdom comes in its fullness. The morning star a reference to Jesus Himself. Listen to this. Revelation 22, 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you to you these things in the churches. He says, I am the root and offspring of David. In other words, David came from me and I came from David. Pretty interesting. He says, I'm the bright and morning star. That's not the Bible teaching that Jesus is the Sun, as in S U N. But it is the Bible teaching that in the same way the sun shines on the earth and allows the earth to grow and be what it's meant to be, that there can be life because of the shining of the sun, in the same way we can have life because of the shining of the sun, S-O-N. C.S. Lewis said, I don't believe, um, I don't believe in God because of what, how I see him, I believe in God, like I believe in the Son, because I see all things through him. I believe in the Son, not because I see the Son, but because I see everything else by it. I believe in Jesus, not because I see him, but because I see everything else through him. He's the lens by which all life makes sense, without which life makes no sense. And Peter's saying to these people, and the Spirit is saying to us, listen, heed this. Now, we have to be careful as we do this, okay? Because here's what he says. Notice in verse 20, Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. So Peter says, here's your first priority of this, okay? If you're going to to be reminded through this written record, if you're gonna see this written record as eyewitnesses, as it's being written in the authority of God, first thing you need to know, you can't just make it mean whatever you want it to mean. It's not open to private interpretation. Now, this could be a reference to the fact that he's saying the people who wrote the, the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, people who wrote the Old Testament, they didn't just write down what their perspective was. It could be a reference to that, that they actually were inspired by God to write what they wanted to write. It's true they, they wrote what they wanted to write, but to me that interpretation of this text means that it kind of hyper-spiritualizes the way God spoke And it almost treats people as if their personalities and their circumstances didn't matter, which we see really clearly in Scripture. The the writer's personalities, the writer's circumstances is what the Holy Spirit used to bring forth his message, okay? I think what this is talking about, especially because we're going to talk about false teachers next week, is this is talking about, listen, no one can take the Scripture and say, oh, I I think it means this and make it mean whatever they think they want it to mean. Because that's what false teachers do. False teachers don't go around and say, oh, don't believe the Bible. That's what unbelievers do. What false teachers do, the guys who attack from within say, well, yeah, the Bible does say that, but actually what it means is, and they twist what the Scripture says. Now, it's important that we recognize that that what we are to find out when we're studying the Scripture, when we're wanting to be reminded of what's said. We want to be reminded about what God has actually said. We want to know the context. We want to know what His actual promises are. Can I give you a, a basic example? Any of you guys have a plaque or a, a picture in your house that has Jeremiah twenty nine eleven on it? For I know my thoughts towards you, thoughts of good, not of evil. Anybody have that? Yes. Yeah, a few of us. We have one. I have one in my office. Often quote, quoted verse, many people would say, uh, we're kind of claiming that verse, and they kind of say, see, we know that God's future for us is good. And so that what they do is they interpret that as God's future for me is good because it's promised in the Scripture. That means bad things aren't going to happen or less bad things are going to happen or bad things aren't going to happen if it's outside of God's plan. Is that what that verse means? No, not at all. If you read Jeremiah 29, you know what's happening there? Jeremiah the prophet is, is telling God's people You guys blew it big time, so you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. You're going to be slaves for 70 years, which means many of the people that went there were going to die there. You're going to lose your land, you're going to go into Babylon, you're going to be slaves for 70 years, but after you get brought back out, because I only leave you there for 70 years, you're going to seek me. And when you seek me, you're going to find me, for I know my plans for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, for a future and a hope. In other words, God says, here's what I mean by that promise. Because you run from me and you rebel against me, I have to chasten you. But my goal is a good end. It's a future and a hope. You see the difference? See what happens when we give it to a private interpretation? No, God spoke to me. It means this. If it didn't mean that to the original guys that wrote to, it doesn't mean it to you. That's the point. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make you paranoid like, oh, no, I don't understand the Scripture. God can't possibly be speaking to me. Oftentimes, guys, God will prompt us about a truth from a text of Scripture even when that text of Scripture doesn't teach that truth. The Holy Spirit can do that. In other words, it's, the, the issue is, if you, here's how you know God's actually speaking to you is what God's speaking to you fit with what scripture actually teaches. So, so here's what I'm saying. I've definitely experienced many times definitely had this happen as I'm teaching scripture, well people will say, you know, I was really really God really spoke to me this week from that message when you said this word boom 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 boom. And it will have absolutely nothing to do with the context of what we were talking about like saying to Peter. But God spoke to them about something and we're sure that it was God speaking to them because what God spoke to them there fits with what God says somewhere else. Do you see what I'm saying? Because I don't want you to get this impression that what I'm trying to say to you is that the only way God's ever going to speak to you is if you get the exact right interpretation of Scripture. So that basically you're never going to hear from God unless you've taken the time every morning to this amazing, in depth, inductive Bible study. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, the only way you're going to know that God has indeed spoken to you is if you do know how to do that amazing in-depth Bible study. In other words, you do know how to rightly divide God's Word. That's the only way it's going to work. If you think, here's what works, I just open it read it, and whatever I feel is what God's speaking to me, that's a dangerous road to go. But if you're reading this context and you're saying, God, who are these people, what were you saying to them, That's often what's going to happen is you're going to see God saying this to them and then the Holy Spirit's going to say, and I'm saying this to you as well. Are you guys following me? I'm not trying to take away the reality of God teaching us. I'm trying to say God's not going to teach us something that goes against what He's already said in His Word. I'm trying to say if you want to know what God's Word is for you today, read what God's Word was for these people then. So it's not open to private interpretation. Now, the Bible says this in the book of Exodus. When when God speaks to Moses and he's making a covenant with Israel, here's what he says. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So that God says, look, at Moses, I want you to write down exactly what I'm saying to you because it's according to what I say that I make a covenant with my people not according to what you say, but according to what I say. Does that make sense? This is why it's completely appropriate for any of you to question any interpretation any of us bring from this pulpit. It's totally appropriate for you to come and say, is that really what that text says? I'm not sure if I agree. Because this is the the, the point that I believe Peter is making. Peter's saying, to us, this is the way the apostles viewed Scripture, there's only one right interpretation of Scripture. And I'm saying to you, that's what I'm trying to go for, but sometimes I don't always get it. And sometimes when it's hard to say, when it's hard to understand, I say, it's hard to understand. But that's what we want to go for. We don't want a private interpretation. We want to know what God's saying, because that's the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. Notice also he says verse 21 we're almost done he says for prophecy never came by the will of man he says but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit now paul talks about this this reality in 1 Corinthians when he's talking to the Corinthian church he says to them uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 he says These things we also spoke, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, here's what Paul's meaning. He's saying, listen, he's not saying that that a, a person who's not a Christian can't understand what the Bible teaches, He's saying a person who, who uh, isn't a Christian can't believe what the Bible teaches. They have, to, they have to come to a place where they believe Jesus before they believe the Scripture. It's just not going to happen. Now, oftentimes it happens simultaneously. They believe in the Scripture, so they believe in Jesus, okay? But he's not saying that people can't understand it. He's saying, listen, it's got to be the, the Holy Spirit who wrote these things or spoke these things to the apostles. That same Holy Spirit has to speak these things to the people who are hearing it. This is why we pray before service. And I invite as many of you guys who want to come and pray with us that you come and pray with us. We're praying that God speaks. Not that I speak, but that God speaks. Because the Holy Spirit has to speak to hearts. He's saying, listen, that's what has to happen. This is also why, listen, Paul says this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but if even if we, that is, we the apostles, Or, an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. In other words, what Paul's saying there, what we have to understand, even what Peter's saying here, he's saying, listen, it's not the men that have the authority, it's what God spoke through the men that has the authority. That's the issue. This is really important as we continue to go through 2 Peter because guys, we live in a day and age and this stuff's always happened but it seems like, it seems like we're in a season right now as the church in the West where we, so many believers will believe anything from a guy who's got a bit of charisma and we don't go back to the word of God and see well, is this really what God says? Or, or we'll believe our own experience over what God actually says is true. I had a conversation with a guy once till one in the morning in my living room. We were talking about healing. And we were talking about the fact that we we both believed God still heals today, like God still supernaturally heals today. And he was using scriptures, one from Isaiah, one from one or one Peter, to say that that God's healing is guaranteed. In other words, physical healing now, the side of heaven, is guaranteed because Jesus died. So the, the atonement of Christ guarantees that we can be healed. Because Peter quotes uh, Isaiah and says, By your stripes we are healed. Now, if you look at the context of both Isaiah and Peter, you'll see it's super clear. In neither context is he talking about physical healing. Not at all. There's no way you can get it from that text. So we talked to one in the morning, and he concluded, he says, you know, I agree, you're completely right. There's no way from either of those texts that you can say that God guarantees he's going to physically heal somebody uh, from their sickness if they have enough faith in the atonement. You're right, you can't get that. But I believe it anyway. Now, I might have stepped on some of your toes by just bringing up that issue right now. But here's the reality. Do you know how many people have walked away from God or thought, we can't trust those Christians because of that specific doctrine? Twisting Scripture to say you can be healed because Jesus died so that you could be physically healed the side of heaven, and people believe that? Stop taking medications? Hey, God still heals, man. Don't get me wrong. We pray for healing. We want God to heal. We believe God does radical stuff. But because God does radical stuff, He did it before Jesus died, He does it after Jesus died, and any healing He does this before heaven is temporary but it's an example of what happens when people take a a, a scripture and they twist it to mean something. And it's amazing to me how we will believe a twisting of scripture and not believe what God actually says. And Peter is wanting to say to these people, listen, I know you know this stuff, but I want to remind you of this stuff lest you fall into these problems. If I start teaching stuff that twists the scripture, may I be accursed. May you guys have the guts to fire me. If Adam does, if anybody who speaks from this pulpit does, may you guys have the guts to say to us, that's wrong, man. That's not what the scripture teaches. Now take me aside. Don't stand up and make a big scene (laughs) because you might be wrong too and it'll be embarrassing for both of us. But Peter wants these people whom he loves dearly, before he dies, he wants them to know, man, you can have confidence in the scripture. It was written for your reminder. It was written by eyewitnesses. It was written in the authority of God. Take heed to what it says. Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke these things. Take heed to what he says. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God can live by what God says.